Hello, thanks for joining us. It's IntelliCast Season 3, Episode 24. We are killing it with episodes this season. I hope um, y'all are enjoying them. Joining me today, Tony Brown. Um, I think it's about your third time on this year. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Hey, doing great. Yeah, it is my third time. Man, like you're going to be officially co-hosting here soon. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> um, and Telecast is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. That's where Tony and I are employed. Uh, my name is Brian Lamar, and you can reach us at Intellicast at emi-rs.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research, or Intellicast1 on Twitter. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 513-401-5463. Um, Tony, today we have an awesome guest on, uh, Mike Nash. He's the president of KSNR. Are you excited? Very excited. Yeah, Mike's been a, a good uh, colleague of mine um, and client for a long time, so uh, excited to have him on. Yeah, I don't, I don't know them nearly as well as you do, but what I do know of them is that every time I speak to someone at KSNR, and it can be someone like Mike, who's the president, I mean, he's a big deal, or a day-to-day contact, um, every single person there is a fantastic researcher and super smart. Do you agree with that? I'll definitely agree with that. It's, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely raise the bar, and they they uh, they they hold us to a high standard, and we're, we're really thankful for that. And uh, uh, yeah, when you're when you're working with them, you better bring your A game. So I really really enjoy that partnership we have. Yeah, absolutely. They make us better as a company, and they that, that's awesome. Um, just look at their website, their company overview. A few facts about KSNR: um, ranked number one for the ninth consecutive year in a major industry study among market research buyers. That's that's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. It's pretty consistently, uh, yeah, it's hard to be uh, ranked in something like that, let alone ranked number one for the last nine years. Yeah, so it's not just you and I saying that, it's everybody. Um, number one in data quality, analytical skills, on-time delivery, customer service, and value for the money. Um, that's amazing. Among um, the top 50 U.S. market research firms, founded in 1983, over 100 people. I know them as being in Syracuse in New York, but I guess it looks like they have other locations as well. They do, yeah. And they've got some remote uh, folks, staff throughout the Midwest, West Coast, and even uh, out in Europe. So uh, definitely expanding. Yeah. Um, and so we just recorded the interview with Mike, and I'm not sure how much you want to divulge, but I it's about thought leadership. And it's such a good topic for me. I can, I'd like to have talked to him more about it because he could help me as a thought leader grow, certainly uh, based on his experience. But I really enjoyed the talk. It was good. It was uh, yeah, something we don't recover every day, um, but I don't think um, I think you know this industry um, should be focused a lot more on that topic. Uh, and and uh, it's good that they're uh, <laughs> they're being leaders in that in that realm. Yeah, and especially now, I think he mentioned this in the blog that he put out about it. You can find all this on their website, which is ksrinc.com. Um, but now is really the time to kind of be a thought leader and to establish yourself as providing guidance during this time and confidence and, um, you know, those things for their clients and brands. But um, I'm excited for the interview. Tony, you want to introduce Mike? Yeah, Mike, uh, as you mentioned, KSNR has been around since 1983. Mike's been with KSNR for uh, a little over 20 years. He was promoted to president in 2018. And uh, Mike holds a master's degree in public administration from Rockefeller College State University, New York. And uh, while KSNR holds uh, expertise across several industries, Mike really has a focus on high tech, telecom, and professional services. 
So we're really excited to have him today. Mike, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys, I appreciate it. Uh, EMI, has, EMI has always been a great partner for us. We enjoy working with uh, both you and Brian, obviously, and uh, looking forward to our time together here and hopefully share some uh, share some insights and have a little fun. Well, tell us a little bit about um, thought leadership and um, <laughs> some of your thoughts around that topic. Sure. Now, we've seen a, a certain uh, spike in this activity over the last six or eight weeks. Uh, very, uh, you know, not a coincidence given the time period that we're in with the, with the COVID-19. I think people are looking to stake out their claim, uh, what their, what their vision is for their future, uh, of their brand. And so we've seen a lot of business, uh, looking to use research to help create that unique perspective, that unique space, uh, or find that, that open, uh, avenue in the marketplace. So I think it's all about trying to own the narrative, control your own narrative. Uh, we spend a lot of our world, again, analogy to the, to the COVID world, right? Reacting to other things. I think when you go out there and sort of lead from a thought leadership perspective, you're creating the action. You're not just reacting to someone else. And I think that's why we're seeing a, a little bit of an uptick in that kind of work right now. Uh, and I thought maybe we'd just talk about some of the things we've seen as, as best practices um, as you try to put your put your share out there and your mind share out there in a way that uh, allows you to, to sort of um, beat your own chest about, about your brand. Uh, and not have to be sort of a hardcore sale conversation, right? You're sort of out there talking about bigger things, bigger ticket items um, that, again, you hope the market will follow you on going forward, which, again, leads directly to sales down the road, um, particularly in the in the B2B space where where I spend a lot of my time. And then you have, um, I'm reading some of your content you've, you've put out, you have essentially like, like five main points to cover when, when brands should consider thought leadership kinds of work. Yeah, some of the things that, that we try to coach and, and, and guide our, our clients around are, are really starting with the answer and working backwards. Uh, your answer might change uh, while you're doing the research or while you're writing that that thought of leadership or creating that piece. But I think having a, a stake in the ground or hypothesis that, you know, here's what we want to be about um, allows you to write very specific uh, targeted questions to either prove that hypothesis uh, or refute it. And sometimes it does get refuted. Uh, and then you're sort of back at the drawing board, changing your mind or changing your point of view on a particular topic. But you have to come pretty strong with that point of view. Uh, you almost want some of the survey questions to be polarizing uh, intentionally, kind of a lightning rod situation where you can then uh, decide which part of the, the that lightning rod you want to be on uh, as a brand and, and as a product manager. Yeah, that's an interesting, um, interesting concept. Especially going at it, you know, being polarizing like that, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, you've got to. I think make a statement and, uh, people are going to obviously react to that, um, positively or negatively, but that's, that's the whole point. And then the research allows you to figure out how positive or how negative they might react to that, right? And that can guide you as to how far you want to take it and how far you want to push the envelope in a certain direction. Exactly. The other thing we, we try to really stress is to keep it simple. I mean, we've got a great marketing sciences group at, at KSNR, uh, you know, three or four super PhDs, super smart, super creative. But in the best uh, in the best practice from a thought leadership perspective, sometimes that can get in the way. Right. We, we tend to sort of lead toward a very simple battery, a lot of yes, no binary questions. Even uh, we found that sometimes the more advanced statistics are hard to tell the story when you're looking at doing some sort of uh, blog piece. You're looking at doing a quick little video. You're doing a, a little sort of piece insert in a, in a magazine. Um, you don't have the traditional, you know, 50 page deck to be able to sort of explain your rationale, explain the methodology, explain how you got to, to some more complicated analysis. 
Um, so we really try to keep things relatively simple. Um, even though we are known as an analytic shop and we, we take pride in that, um, that's not where we, we, we put a lot of our, our emphasis when we do thought leadership work. It's just hard to write about. It's hard to tell that story to the, to the normal human being after the fact. I imagine, I think keeping it simple is such a difficult thing. I mean, it's, it's an easy concept to grasp, certainly. And I think it's likely everybody's goal when they start out an effort like that. But a lot of times, you know, as you have more team members, uh, more stakeholders, Teams tend to expand, scope tends to increase. Um, how do you, uh, how do you fight back at that? Because it is, you know, we know that Israel, things can get blown completely over engineered. Uh, so tell, tell us a little about some of your tricks. Yep. And, uh, well, we've gotten pretty good at, at what we call these hypothesis trees. A lot of corporate entities use something like that, something similar. Um, where again, you start with the answer and start branching off down to what questions you need to ask to get to that answer, right? So it does try to limit that, that scope creep or try to find other additional nice things about it, right? If it, if it can't relate directly A to B to your hypothesis, it, it doesn't belong in the thought leadership piece. Save it for another study, save it for something else. So, so anything like hypothesis tree or some sort of diagram flow where you say, here's what we're trying to prove. And, and you really force every question and every subcategory to at least relate to that hypothesis pretty directly, not tangentially, uh, but pretty directly. And, and the other big one that, that we, we always talk with you guys about uh, is this whole differentiation, right? I mean, uh, thought leadership is definitely the place where we, we cannot have uh, the flatlining, right, or the speeding through of results, right? So when we work with, with panel houses like you guys, we are very uh, on edge as to making sure that we get some bifurcation of results back to those polarizing questions we know that they they should bifurcate just naturally um and then we're always working and that's why we like working with you guys so much to make sure that we're getting uh, legitimate results on those issues and, and not coming back with some flat number where you know everyone's mentioning a five on a 10 point scale or something like that so we, it, it, that that is very hard to write about when you're thinking about creative content and putting the thought leadership out into the marketplace you've got to have some some high mid and low groups um, or else it's just a hard conversation that everyone's kind of lukewarm on something that that's that doesn't really get a lot of uh, headlines or uh, hits on on web channels. That's a good point. Um, you also mentioned not to skimp on visuals, and yeah, yeah. Uh, give some examples about you know what you mean by that. Yeah, no, it goes back a little bit to the to the keep it simple. Um, you're going to try to tell a story, tell a narrative in a relatively brief way and somehow in a dynamic, exciting way. Um, and so, again, you don't want only a bunch of bullets, right? You want to be able to show something visually uh, impressive that catches someone's eye um, and that, again, can communicate the story uh, in, in a quicker fashion, more efficient fashion. So it's not about just color for the for the point of having color. Uh, but it's about having something that can allow the person to understand the story, not have to read seven pages of, of, of narrative, uh, be able, but be able to get the, the story in a snapshot. Um, and again, the, the visuals are a critical piece. So, so we have some people, some graphic artists that really spend a lot of time trying to make sure that we can show the story visually pleasing, uh, but also effective and efficient uh, to get that point across. And again, that that's tough to do if you're in a really complex kind of, you know, high level mathematical situation where you're trying to prove a point. Um, and that's why we try to keep some of the questions simple as well to make it easy uh, to show bars, to show circles, to show different graphics um, with simple data uh, often helps tell their story in a more effective way. What, what brands do you think 
if, if you look at uh, across the landscape, what brands do you think are executing thought leadership well today? And they, they don't necessarily have to be your clients, although they, they might be. Uh, anything come to mind of examples and, and why you think that? Yeah, I think all the professional service firms have a pretty good handle on this. They, they've got deep benches where people do this for a living, right? And they do a lot of it every day. Um, so I think, you know, name your consulting firm, uh, the Deloitte's, the McKinsey's, um, Anderson, uh, Accenture. Any of those players are really um, spend a lot of time on this and, and do it pretty well. Um, and that that's where we sort of uh, support a number of those players as well. And that's where we picked up some of our our skill sets. Uh, I spend a lot of time in the tech space, so you know, again, a lot of the tech companies are out there uh, promoting that kind of thinking as well. Um, and I think both those players, all those uh, industries, are really um, adamant about this kind of work because they're all looking to get that edge, right? Because um, that the, the, the margins are tight, uh, the comp- competition is tight, um, and, and you're looking for anything that can give you an edge uh, and, and make your brand a little bit more unique or, or draw in a buyer uh, based on the way you're thinking or showing them a new lens or a new way to think about something that they hadn't thought before. That kind of creativity uh, usually plays well in those particular fields. you think this is um, more effective or impactful with consumer or B2B effort or, or both? I think it's both. I mean, we have people in the company that, that do more of this on the consumer side. I do spend more of my time on the B2B space. Um, but, but I do think it can be done both places. Um, I have a little bit more comfort on the B2B side and we've done more of it there probably if you've counted it all up. Uh, but certainly I think now again, during this pandemic, right? People want to know what you stand for, right? There, there's been a trend even before COVID-19 that if I'm going to spend my dollars, I want to spend it with a company that has some of the values, some of the beliefs, some of uh, my same thinking. And I think that falls into the same thought leadership space. Right? It doesn't have to be thought leadership on a, on a new technology, but it has to be about your values and, and sort of what you stand for. And I think that helps people spend money with you um, if, if they stand for some of the same things. So we see a lot of this social consciousness um, being brought into these consumer brands um, and they want to know their money's being put to, to somebody they can um, sleep well at night and not, not be uh, embarrassed to, to support. But yeah, we probably do a little bit more on the B2B side, but we're seeing a lot more of this uh, social responsibility and, and consumer side as well as to how to um, grab the consumer wallet in a way that, that makes them feel good about spending money with it. I was at a conference last year. I can't remember which which conference it was, but you know, back when we used to have conferences. Right. Uh, but there was a discussion, there was a segment on, uh, on generationally, um, how different generations approach brands or were influenced by brands and some of the younger generations, the way that they are one impacted by brands, relate or respond to brands, how impacted they are by brands, the decisions they make regarding brand messaging. Um, it was a little bit different for younger generations. And uh, I just don't know, uh, probably more of a consumer impact than B2B, but I'm wondering if you've got any, anything to share there, any, any thoughts to share on those lines generationally. Yeah, no, I, I think I think people are, that are growing up now, my kids, for example, right, they, they take the climate very seriously and they, they don't want to support people that don't take the climate seriously. Right. So, I mean, that's one easy, big example that's been going on for a number of years. I think yeah. that'll accentuate or continue. And, and I think you can get very niche oriented, uh, which is why the, the, the Internet's blown up. Right. And the, these e-commerce sites have blown up because now you can target and market to a very small group. You don't have to put your goods online at Nordstrom's or, you know, in, in a retail store, but you can find these people that have some of the same beliefs as you do and they will buy your, you know, whether it's socks that, that send a pair of socks when you buy one out to, to some 
uh, underprivileged child, right? Uh, you see that in uh, personal care with toothbrushes, with razors, right? So there's a lot of this kind of um, do good for you and buy a brand you like that's also going to do good for someone else down the road. And yeah, that does seem to be a, a, a bigger play among some of the millennials or the younger generation that they're just grown up with that, right? They're used to it. Um, yeah. where some of the older folks maybe aren't quite as used to it. And then the younger generation has so many more choices, right? I mean, when we were growing up, you, you didn't yeah. have as many choices to, to split your wallet across. And now there is. And again, this thought leadership is, is a way to sort of give somebody an edge or an advantage or an angle, um, knowing that you have so much more competition than, than ever before. Would you say that, um, from a research perspective and helping, you know, a brand achieve some of this thought leadership, um, quant or, or qual methodologies are more effective, or is it still just depend on the scenario? We we try to go textbook and, and do some qual to start to find out. Hey, are these questions polarizing? Is this even a a, a, a decision tree or a, a thesis or a hypothesis that that anyone cares about? Right. So we try to do a few of those early on, maybe even just a handful of IDIs, just to see if it's worth spending the time to, to go down that path. But to actually get to a point where you're publishing an article, making a video. Uh, putting sub- submitting something into a journal, um, that tends to be more quantitative, right? You need to have some numbers to back up your finding, right? If you're going to say 75% of the people prefer X, um, you need to have some numbers or some scale there. And, and so in the, the end result, um, tends to always be quantitative. Um, but I think you, you do save yourself some hassle and some, some time. Right now we're, we're doing a big study where we're doing, uh, just 10 IDIs with, with business leaders trying to, to sort of talk through some topic areas to even find what that that magical hypothesis might be or what that kind of um, uh, interesting nugget might be that we can build a survey off, right? So we're even whiteboarding it earlier, um, just trying to get a sense of, is this topic matter to you? Can you see it being meaningful down the road? And, you know, depending on what, what people say out of those IDIs, we'll take that information and go write a survey that can be a little bit more provocative and, and define some some ways to put some headlines out there that that are meaningful to people in a way that, if we didn't do the IDIs, we might be going down a path that, that we don't want to end up with. And, you know, Mike, this is such an uncertain time in the world for everybody. Thought leadership, actually any leadership for that matter, is so crucial at a time like this. Taking current events out of the picture for a moment, if you can't, are there other scenarios or times or events where you think thought leadership is, it should be more of a priority for brands than others? Yeah, I, I think it's whenever you are in a competitive field, which almost everybody is these days. And I think it's whenever you're looking for, again, that edge, right? What what do you want to stand for? What do you want to be about? Um, I think the thought leadership world can give you the ammunition to be able to create the content that tells a meaningful story. So you don't have to just push your product or your technical uh, improvement of some issue, but now you have some other angles to be able to tell stories about your brand, which again, that's all this is these days is, is you know, telling stories about your brand. And, and this gives you a different avenue to pursue that. That's not just on the technical product itself. It can be about how the product's used. It can be about the, the history and the legacy of the brand. Um, but I think it's all about trying to create that differentiation and that uniqueness uh, to make your brand stand out. That's great. Brian, do you have anything, any thoughts? Yeah, I have a couple of questions. And first of all, I love this topic. I think that um, if you do thought leadership effectively, especially the way that you're describing it, you can build a ton of brand loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, we we try to be thought leaders in the sampling world in that we're talking about response rates and best practices in terms of sampling. And I'm curious about how you feel about 
you have to be brave at times, I'm assuming, and kind of very confident in what you're doing because there are times that you, um, you can offend somebody. Maybe you're telling people something they don't want to hear. And that's something I kind of struggle with myself is that, um, I have to, I feel like I have to be very careful. I'm curious if we could talk about kind of the, the bravery and confidence sure. that KSNR and yourself utilize for that. Sure. Well, well, I think again, the, the numbers give you the confidence, right? So if you're going to go out with a piece that, that advocates a certain view or puts a certain lens on something, um, you need the research to back it up to at least that you can feel good about it. Now, again, you're right. You are going to make some other part of the market, maybe not as happy about that but you'll have the numbers on your side and the data and the facts on your side. So that, that should give you greater confidence than if you were just creating uh, content in a, in a vacuum. Um, so that that's where we think we've come in and we can provide that guidance to say, you know, only eight, only 60% of the people like this point of view or want to go down this path with you, then you've got to decide, is that enough? Does that make you feel confident to go out on the limb and, and sort of take a different direction than maybe your competitor is knowing that you're right. You, you may, you may irk 40% of your customer base. That's possible. But at least now you have the numbers to, to make that decision with some clarity. Um, and like we said before, you, you, you want a little bit of polarization. You want to be a little bit provocative, right? That, that's what does drive some of the, the hits on, on some of these uh, channels um, and gives you, you know, you don't want to take it down to the level of clickbait, but there, there is some uh, you know, provocativeness that, that you want to get to drive your brand or at least make people think about your brand maybe in a different way that they weren't uh, historically assuming. Um, that's what you were all about. All right, that's great. Thank you. And, and you mentioned your point about keep it simple. Which mm-hmm. I completely agree with it. It reminds me, I used to do a lot of claims testing, mm-hmm. and we were intentionally extremely simple. We did not ask one single question that wasn't necessary for the claim. And that was intentional because we didn't want people pick, putting holes in the data right. or attacking it. I'm curious if, if that's similar strategy for you. Right. There, there is some of that you, you don't want to you don't want to ask a question that you're going to get a bad answer on. Right. There is some of that, but yeah. not not to, to what you read of the claims uh, world. Right. You're not going to end up in court on something. But but yes, the, you, you need to be careful on the questions. You don't want to you don't want to ask questions that don't fit to the hypothesis. I think that just t- throws things off. Um, and, and yeah, you, you want to make sure that you're spending your your research space in real estate um, either backing up that hypothesis or refuting it. And if it does get refuted, that's fine too. I mean, we've we've written some right. nice papers where we thought we were going down one path, and we got done with the results. We had to write a different message for the client, and that was okay. It took a you know a couple hard meetings. And one thing we haven't talked about yet is trying to distribute this this work um, either internally or externally. And and we've had a lot of success with these kind of design thinking workshop notions where you come back to the results, you bring 10 or 12 of the key client stakeholders into a room, and you really sort of spend three or four hours kind of figuring out, okay, not only do we have this data point, but now how do we communicate or talk about your brand because of that data point? Um, and those can be hard sessions, right? Because you're hearing some stuff that maybe you don't want to hear as a brand, um, but now at least it's getting you thinking about how do we talk about that? How do we embrace that? Um, how do we, again, own that ourselves? rather than our, our competitors kind of owning that on us or for us. So I think that's that's part of the thing of getting out in front of this stuff um, and having a point of view that matters, um, knowing that you're right. You, you may uh, you may distance yourself from some people, but now you've got the data to know that you're, you're going after the, the audience that you want. That's awesome. Thank you. Last question I have on this topic, and this has been great content, but uh, do you think that in your experience, has thought leadership types of work led to other types of work for a client or is it more vice versa that you're doing some other work for a client that, that ultimately will lead to sometimes thought leadership any sense of that 
I think it goes both ways. I'm trying to think back. I have not looked at the numbers on that or trying to find a way to track that. But certainly I can think of situations where if you start with the thought leadership, you come to some sense of, of what you want to be and, and what point of view you want to push out there, which often does trickle down to some other additional work, right? Trying to get the nuance of that issue or trying to understand how you can expand on that issue after the fact. So there's definitely thought leadership followed up by other work. But I also think we've, we've certainly done somewhere. We've done a bunch of projects for a client. They sort of are spinning their wheels, not sure what to do. Um, and we've been able to do some thought leadership type of stuff to help get them focused or, or centered on, on a theme or a, a, a game plan of some sort. So I think it does work both ways. It'd be interesting if we can go back and figure that out. I, I don't know if there's a, uh, a prevalent way of doing it one way or the other, but I think we've certainly seen it happen in both directions. That's good. That's good to know. Thank you. And this is, again, this has been great. I, Mike, you guys, Case and I have been such a, a loyal client of ours and such a, such a great, uh, you know, group of professionals to work with. And, you know, normally our, our, uh, <laughs> relationship is you asking us for, uh, different sample needs and us very happily providing that for you. But it's, it's great to just spend some time in this context, just kind of hearing more about, um, how you work, um, the value that you bring to the industry and to your clients. So thank you very much for that. Um, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. No, you guys have been great. We we enjoy working with you. And uh, yeah, this has been fun. We, we like talking about this type of stuff. And uh, glad we can make the time work. And thanks again for both you and Brian for, for letting me out. We've got a, now that we're uh, covered a lot of uh, a lot of insightful professional stuff, we've got a uh, we've got a little segment of this podcast I like to call the four P's. And that's just to get to know you a little better as a person for our listeners. And Brian's got a lot of these questions that he likes to ask of, of listeners. Oh boy. Yeah. Just trying to get they might, they might, they might have heard enough already, right? They might not <laughs> want to know much more about me at this point. Go ahead. No, Ron. no, this is awesome. And it'll put the story together maybe. Um, first P is perform. I'm curious if you have something that people don't know about you. Do you have any hidden talents? It's not particularly hidden. Um, I think <laughs> I've taken, I've taken the winter to really, uh, perfect an old fashioned recipe. So I think last time, uh, Tony oh. and I were together, we were, we were comparing bourbons. And so I think I've got it down now. So that, that, that might, I don't know if that counts as a talent or a, a vice or a problem, but I, I think I got it down. That's uh, awesome. You got to get down here. This is, we're right on the border of bourbon country here in Cincinnati. I know. I know. Get you I on know. the bourbon trail. Next P is our newest P. It's my new favorite P. In some ways, it's pandemic, and um, love to hear any funny things you're doing during quarantine. I'll set it up with one that I just started doing. Sure. And that is, I'm now obsessed with B videos. Mm. So I found this guy who's out, there's a name for a person who works with bees. Yeah. But he finds like hives that are hidden in old buildings, and mm. he um, tries to remove the queen, and he saves these hives. And I'm just fascinated by this guy that tries to save bees. I don't think I would have been obsessed with this guy four mm. months ago, but now I can't get enough of bee videos. So Fine. I'm curious if there's something that you have that you're kind of doing crazy over the past few months. Uh, nothing like that, but we do have a client that's very into bees out on the West Coast. So okay. I have to connect you too, but yes. Um, I, I think the, the last few weeks, there's a couple things, right? I've got three, uh, three daughters living at home now that weren't expecting to, or at least one, one of them still was, but I got a 22 year old, uh, an 18 year old and a, a 16 year old. So they have found, um, old school games like Scrabble, uh, and puzzles. And so we're doing, we used to do a bunch of puzzles at KSNR before we had to uh, disband and, and sort of get people home. But, uh, so yeah, so puzzles seem to be big right now. And then also for my, my 16 year old, um, I went out, we got uh, Xbox, so we're trying, trying jointly to learn Xbox, and I, I do not do well there. So that, that's a, 
that's a different weird thing that I would not have expected doing uh, without the uh, without the pandemic. Those are awesome. They're more family friendly than me sitting alone in a room watching D, D videos. Um, next P is pride. What's your biggest source of pride? Biggest accomplishment? This could be personal, professional, anything you'd like to share. Sure. Uh, I, I have pride in KSNR, right? I mean, you know, it's not trying to make it a commercial, but you know, we've had 35 years, 35 plus years of great success, and and especially in this particular window, I try to remind myself that you know we we went through 9/11, uh, we went through the banking mortgage crisis in 2008, 2009, you know, almost even 2010, depending on how you look at it, um, and and we'll get through this. Again, it won't be fun. Um, we'll learn some things about ourselves and, and about our clients and about our business. Um, but I do have pride in the fact that, that this business has um, changed generationally now, right? We're into the second generation of, of ownership. Um, I can't take credit for all 35 years, obviously, but um, you know I've been there a while, and I feel great about what we've done and what we've set up, and uh, I feel very good that we'll, we'll work through this uh, lift as well. No, that's awesome, and I'm curious. We didn't plan on this, but I'd love, if you've been through a couple crises before, did that help you plan for today in any way? Do you have any like a, a tip or anything that since you've it, kind it, of been through something. It didn't, it doesn't help the planning because when it hits, you're still not ready. I would argue you're still not ready for it, right? You can have all the plans on your shelf and you've, you know, you've talked about these issues before. Um, but when it hits, it still catches you a little flat footed, I would argue, no matter how good you think you are. Um, but it certainly gives you the confidence to know that you've been through similar things. Nothing's quite identical. Um, but it does give you confidence to know that, that you, uh, you have a core set of, of strengths and values to fall back on. Um, and I think that's the biggest comfort if there is such a, a word in this time. Awesome. Last P, top three of something. You get to pick a top three of anything, and maybe Tony and I will debate you on your top three. All right. Well, I've got a couple of books I've been kicking around. I haven't finished them yet, but I've got some. I've got three books that I'm, I've been playing with. Um, Pete Carroll does this. Uh, I think it's called Win Forever. He takes the John Wooden pyramid of success and he puts his own little spin on it. Uh, we've got a lot of clients on the West Coast, so I, I picked him up as a, a kind of a West Coast guy, um, and that's been pretty interesting. Um, I'm also trying to read anything I can find by from Warren Buffett. I mean, he's like a treasure who, you know, I'm afraid he's going to kick the bucket any day here now. But uh, <laughs> you guys out in the Midwest, you probably know him better than I do. But I'm trying to read anything I can from him while he is uh, still alive. But I just think he's a good guy, stands for the right things. Um, and then uh, John Krakauer, I uh, went back and, and read his uh, In the Thin Air. He does a lot of mountaineering type books, and those those are kind of all intriguing and kind of well put together and thought out. So, so those are three top books that are um, trying to get finished by me, and they, they may never make it, but that that's what I'm working on. Those are awesome. I've I've re- I'm getting corona COVID regret almost that I'm not doing enough that I feel like I should have done a lot more during this past few months. And so one of the things is reading. I haven't done nearly enough reading. Well, Mike, hey, thank you so much for joining. This has been fun. I loved learning more about you and KSNR. And we talked about it earlier, but you guys have always been so loyal to us and we really appreciate it. You're super smart, awesome researchers. Um, So clearly that starts at the top. And so, um, again, thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And again, thank you for your partnership and your effort over the years and uh, look forward to more work together. And uh, we'll hopefully talk soon. And uh, get together and we can meet in person again someday. All right. Looking forward to it. Oh, thanks again to Mike Nash, president of KSNR. Um, one of our best guests we've had on. I was super excited to have him on. And I loved, I love the topic about thought leadership. You can find more on this blog on their website. It's um, is your thought leadership breaking through the noise. And Tony, one thing I really liked about it was the keep it simple, which is something we 
you know, it seems kind of basic, but I feel like researchers can be really wordy and <laughs> we talk too much. And I think keeping it simple is really one of the keys that I overlook sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, I had a professor in college say, I'm going to misquote him, but he was, um, I remember, always remember him saying that um, it is very, very difficult to keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, we, we tend to want to overanalyze, um, you know, and really just when you talk, when you come to scope of a project, scope of a research project, scope of any kind of, of effort, it's very easy to really increase that scope and increase complexity and, and lose sight of what you're really trying to achieve. So that I agree with you that keep it simple was something we, we need to, to focus on more in this industry. You know, that reminds me, I worked with a guy named Doug Clapp, and he was a mentor of mine and he was an analyst. And I remember he said something I thought was insightful at the time. He said he was editing a report that I'd written. And he said, if I had more time, I would have made it even shorter. So like that was like the, it was purposeful to keep it simple for whoever it's kind of either the reader or listener or the decision maker. But I, I just thought about that. It was insightful. Um, anything else you liked about the interview, Tony? Oh, it's just great to spend time with uh, with Mike outside of, uh, you know, project by project uh, basis. Anytime I've, I've been able to sit down with him over dinner uh, or have him on the phone, just, you know, talking about uh, not just a specific project, but work in general or or, uh, or life in general. It's been it's great. I was, I was in those conversations, uh, feeling a little bit better about uh, about things and, and just uh, just that much more confidence in KSNR as a company and, and the you know, direction they're headed. They're really impressive. And, and Mike, leading uh, yeah. that group is uh, um, something that's really exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved, it is kind of a, you kind of mentioned it, it's kind of a calm confidence that he just um, gives off. It's kind of his aura. So it was awesome having him on. Thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. Give us some feedback if you want to in telecast.emi-rs.com. Our next guest is Amy Carley. I'm super excited to talk to Amy about our new product, Connector. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.